Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to have you back again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. So jump on in, buckle up, join me for another ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most essential industry to mankind, farming and ranching. Cotton harvest moving full speed ahead across South Texas, getting ready to move into Central Texas right now. We'll check in with the latest USDA crop progress numbers. Of course, they're a bit behind. They just started reporting harvest progress this week in their reports. But we'll get an update on what they show is the latest progress on Texas cotton harvest. Also, keep an eye on Washington. Politicians there are looking to increase your taxes any way they can. We'll focus on the estate tax today and the effect that an estate tax increase could have on Texas farms and ranches. We'll have that story coming up as well. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Despite being denied in his first bid, Texas Panhandle Congressman Ronnie Jackson is making it clear that he still wants to serve on the House Ag Committee. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Dead end and private easement access to rural property. These are two considerations people need to look at when buying rural land. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Cotton harvest is wrapping up in the coastal band, and now attention turns to educational programs, conferences, and seminars. This is Harvey Buring reporting this week from the Texas Hill Country. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA's weekly crop progress and condition report is finally showing some cotton harvest numbers. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says we're making progress on the Texas crop. We see our most advanced progress in Texas, where most of the cotton that is harvested early comes out of the deep south or the coastal bend. Texas cotton, 11% harvested, five-year average is 14%. The only other state above 1% harvested is Arizona. 8% of the crop there has been harvested by September 12th. That report also showing 63% of the Texas corn crop is now harvested, 69% of the sorghum out of the field, and we have progress on winter wheat planting, 9% of the Texas wheat crop now in the ground. Texas peanut farmers will soon have a new high-tech, high-dollar seed peanut sheller. Later this month, Texas A&M AgriLife will unveil a new, first-of-its-kind precision peanut sheller at the AgriLife Foundation Seed in Vernon. Dr. Rick Verling, Foundation Seed Manager, said this sheller is specifically designed for seed production. It has a one-ton-per-hour capacity and will be able to process lots as small as 250 pounds. The sheller, which cost more than a million dollars, will reduce split seed losses to less than 10 percent. 
It offers a rare ability to process identity-preserved peanuts, which allows food companies to procure peanuts with higher quality traits. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Democrats in Washington are proposing massive tax increases to pay for their $3.5 trillion spending plan, unveiling plans this week to increase the top corporate and individual tax rates. They're also looking at increasing capital gains tax rates and estate taxes by dropping the estate tax exemption. Texas A&M Agricultural Law Specialist Tiffany Dow-Lashman says the current estate tax exemption is $11 million. The news out of Washington that has a lot of people pretty concerned is there have been some proposals and some bills that would change that exemption from $11 million per person to $3.5 million per person. And now if you're a farm and ranch family, your ears are perking up, right? Because if you own some land, some equipment, some livestock, it doesn't take that long to get to an estate value of $3.5 million. And where there's a kicker is if somebody does owe the estate tax, currently if you're over the exemption amount, the amount of tax you owe is 40% for zero. Dow Lashman encourages farmers and ranchers to visit with an estate planning specialist to plan for possible changes in the estate tax. Texas only has one member of our entire congressional delegation on an agriculture committee in Washington. That's Congressman Mike Cloud of Corpus Christi. But there is at least one other Texas congressman who's looking for a spot. James Hunt tells who. The Texas Panhandle's new congressman, Republican Ronnie Jackson, says when he took office, he requested a seat on the House Ag Committee. In fact, he says it was his top choice, but ultimately he was denied, Jackson says, because Democrats refused to respect the gains Republicans made in the 2020 election. The Democrats went from a 41-seat majority to a 9-seat majority. Well, they should have reshuffled the ratio of seats in general throughout the House, and the Republicans should have got more seats on committees, including at least one or two more seats seats on ag, but we didn't. Nancy Pelosi flatly refused to give Kevin McCarthy any more seats on the committees, despite the fact that we had a huge shift in the number of Republicans in Congress. Despite getting jilted by partisan politics in his first bid to get on the Ag Committee, Jackson expects better results in the not-too-distant future. In 2022, when we get the majority back, by nature, we'll have more seats on Ag because we're in the majority, and we'll reshuffle and we'll get more seats because we're going to have a bigger majority than the Dems currently have right now. So we will get seats, and we should have at a minimum three members from Texas on Ag, I would suspect, in 2022, and I should be one of those. In the meantime, when it comes to having an active role in ag policy during his first term in office, Jackson is serving as a co-chair of what's called the Texas Ag Task Force, a group of Republican House members from our state. Jackson credits the task force's influence with helping win House Ag Committee approval of a disaster relief package that reauthorizes the WIP Plus program and provides additional relief for drought, wind damage, and the big freeze Texas suffered back in February. I interviewed Congressman Jackson after he met with local Texas Farm Bureau leaders Monday night in Amarillo, and we'll have more from him tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good access is always important when looking at rural property here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti has more. Joining me again on today's program is broker partner Tyler Jacobs of Holland Hall LLP in College Station. He explains what buyers of rural property need to know about dead-end road access to that property. We can have 
highways that dead end, believe it or not. We can have farm to markets that dead end. We can have county roads that dead end, city roads that dead end into rural property. And, and the good news about the dead end nature is there's a lot of privacy that is associated with the dead end entrance or dead end accessibility to the property that you're looking to purchase. The negative side of that is dividing that property. If you buy 100 acres with dead end access, you're probably not going to be able to divide it into 10 acre tracks when you get ready to sell it. Private easements are a funny thing. You know, you always want to probably get an attorney involved when you're purchasing property via private easement. Over the years, you've seen a lot of opportunities to purchase really special properties because of the way that they're accessed. The access can be challenged or needs to be developed a little bit better. And because of that, you're getting the chance to purchase a property maybe that's a little bit extraordinary or is kind of a, a diamond in the rough or a hidden gem. So that's always the pro. It's very private, obviously, as well. The negative there is, is that, you know, you're probably going to have a significant cost associated with the construction and maintenance of that road. Then just the general nature of the easement itself, you don't own the property that the road is going through. You just have a legal right to use it. You're giving that up with private easements. That is Tyler Jacobs with Hall & Hall, LLP. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Food Processors Association held its annual meeting live and in person this year. Harvey Buring attended and has this report. Well, as farmers, we wrap up our harvest season and look forward to the next season, but we often forget about the fact that there's an important link in the food chain that takes place after our commodities leave the farm gate, and that's the area where food processors come into play. And this food processor chain is very important because it's essential to get those products in a form that our consumers desire and want to purchase at the grocery store or the restaurant. So we had a chance to participate in the 43rd annual Texas Food Processors Association meeting, a great organization that does so much to address the challenges of their industry. And they have an excellent scholarship program that's been taking place for over 30 years now to help encourage young people to obtain the information in food science and food safety majors that are so critical to their industry. The Texas Food Processor Scholarship Program in 2020 awarded some $60,000 to students at Texas A&M University and Texas Tech that are involved in majors related to food processing. But one of the challenges they had was the fact that COVID prevented them from having an annual conference where they earn funds due to the generosity of their membership who participate in a scholarship auction and fundraising event at the conclusion of their conference. So this year, those members stepped up and took advantage of making up for lost ground at the 2021 conference just completed, the generosity of the members earned some $68,000 from the scholarship auction, and that will assure that scholarships will once again be awarded to deserving food science majors. Now, other issues that were addressed at the conference included problems with transportation and on-time deliveries during COVID, as well as employee safety and regulations that processing plants have to deal with in the COVID world environment, and uh, certainly concerns about labor laws and governmental affairs taking place in Washington, D.C. Reporting from the Texas Hill Country, this has been Harvey Buring. 
Quail season is on the horizon. What can hunters expect this year? I'm Jessica Domel, and I have a quail season forecast coming up on Texas Ag Today. And dry eye is a common condition in some small breed dogs. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. If you have a small breed dog, you may have problems with dry eyes. Dr. Bob Judd has some advice on what you can do about it. If you own a small breed smushed face dog, it is likely your dog may develop some degree of keratoconjunctivitis sicca, commonly called dry eye. This condition usually occurs due to an immune-mediated destruction of the tear-producing glands, and without tears to protect the eye, the cornea is susceptible to damage. Clinical signs include a thick discharge and drainage around the eyes, and the membranes around the eyes are red and dry. Without tear protection, the corneas are susceptible to ulcers, which are painful, and the eyes are dry and irritated, which feels like sandy grit in the eyes, and is certainly uncomfortable for your dog. Also, because of this chronic inflammation, the cornea will begin developing brown to black pigment on the eye, and this will eventually lead to blindness. So if you have a small breed dog with chronic eye discharge, it is not normal and can be treated by your veterinarian. Cyclosporin and tacrolimus are topical eye medications that stimulate the tear glands to produce more tears. And the earlier the treatment is started, the better before permanent damage occurs. In many cases, twice daily treatment will control the problem. But in some cases, that is not enough. In those other cases, other lubricating medication must also be applied to the eye to keep the eye moist. But the problem is those medications do not remain in the eye very long and must be used every two to three hours which is impossible for many dog owners. However, there is a new product available called Ocunovis that is a hyaluronic acid product and only needs to be used twice a day along with other medications. If your dog has dry eye, ask your veterinarian about Ocunovis as it may be helpful. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Quail season is coming up soon here in Texas. Jessica Domo has a forecast on what to expect this year. Quail hunting season is just a few weeks away. John McLaughlin, Upland Game Bird Program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says across much of the state, people are reporting good to excellent rangeland and habitat conditions, which bodes well for most grassland birds, including quail. But he says that doesn't mean that quail numbers will be great across the entire state this year. Each year we primarily develop our annual forecast based on our quail roadside counts, which we conduct during the first two weeks of August. And I will say that a kind of counter to the good rain conditions and everything else that's going on, unfortunately, we came up with some of the lowest survey numbers on record for most of the state. And so for bobwhites, we actually have two very different forecasts depending on where you are in the state. And so within the rolling plains, really the last three years have really been comparable to the 
2011-2013 drought period that we had. And so entering this year, we had really low population numbers and, and what we refer to as low breeding stocks, not a lot of hens on the landscape available to nest. And so we combine that with a, a lack of quality nesting cover, so a lack of grass cover from the previous years. And it really just led to a, a slow start to the nesting season. And so if you're in the rolling plains this year, because of that slow start to the nesting season and low populations, we really expect that it'll be a below average hunting season for most folks across that region. The forecast is quite a bit different for South Texas this year. We'll have more on that with John McLaughlin from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department on our next show. This year's rules and regulations are available on OutdoorAnnual.com and on the Outdoor Annual app. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I am Jessica Domel. The cattle market went back to its old pattern of moving lower as we move through the week. However, we saw a big jump in both corn and wheat prices on Wednesday. We'll update all of Wednesday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Trains are everywhere. You should always expect one, even on private property. Only cross tracks at designated crossings that fit your equipment. If you don't fit, don't commit. Whenever you're operating, secure your load, raise your equipment, and avoid getting stuck or causing damage. Minimize distractions. Remember, noisy equipment drowns out the sound of a train. Unless you're crossing, always keep a safe distance from train tracks. Look. Listen. Live. For more info, go to oli.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle market seemed to fall back into its usual pattern that we've seen over the last few weeks of just drifting lower as we move through the week. We finished lower on all except our nearby live cattle contract on Wednesday. It was the October. It was up a nickel, 124.17. Everything else lower with December down 20, 129.45. February down 10, 133.15. Same story in feeder cattle. September feeders down 55 at 154.72. The October down $1.65, 156.50. November feeder cattle down 215, 157.57. Cash-fed cattle trade picked up on Wednesday. We saw some fairly light sales in Texas and Kansas. The price, 123 to 124 That is steady to a dollar lower compared to the previous week. If you look up north, we had very limited dress trade in Nebraska. That's supposedly at $200 this week. That's a buck lower compared to last week. Boxed beef prices were lower, with choice down 238 320 51 select down 364 at 286.98. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Here's a glass of iced tea. Sit down with me at Granny Marble's kitchen table, and Doug Bass is joining us today. Doug Bass from Cattleman's Brenham. How did you sell them last Friday? Had a good sale, Mr. Larry. We ended up with 1,295 head of cattle. Good. Let's walk those pins. Yes, sir. On your weigh-in cows, your thinner, lower-yielding cows bring 16 to 48. Better high-yielding cows bring 52 to 80. Your bulls, weigh-in bulls, thinner, lower-yielding bulls bring 63 to 78. Your better bulls bring 80 to 98. Pairs, good jack of pairs there. Uh, today, uh, the little plainer pairs bring 550 to 850. Your better pairs bring 1,100 to 1,700. Red cows, little plainer breads bring 450 to 850. Better bred cows bring 1,000 to 1,400. Uh, your little roping kids, one or two white steers bring 119 to 210. Heifers bring 134 to 185. 
Two to three weight steers bring 114 to 205. Heifers bring 121 to 158. Three to four weight steers bring 147 to 210. Heifers bring 140, uh, 127 to 172. Four to five weight steers bring 146 to 202. Heifers bring 136 to 180. Five to six weight steers bring 143 to 170. Heifers bring 136 to 160. Six to seven weight steers bring 138, 130 to 147. Heifers bring 131 to 145. Seven to eight weight steers bring a buck and a quarter to 147. Heifers bring 118 to 139. And your 800,000 pound steers and bull yardens bring. A dollar to a dollar thirty, and your heifer bring eighty to one hundred nine. What are you seeing coming in for this next week, Doug Bass? Real good set of cows, forty or so open Brahmin heifers that come on them. The man raised. There's probably uh, fifteen to twenty F one heifers that are open heifers that the man raised, and then there's uh, a darn good set of brave cows and black cows that uh, three to five year old would be pairs and breads. We've got quite a few good cattle lined up to come. Doug, tell everybody how to get a hold of y'all. <clears throat> yes, sir. You can call me on my cell, which is nine seven nine eight seven seven four four five four, or call us here at the office, which is nine seven nine eight three six thirty six twenty one. Maybe that's it for Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. Good day to you. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now, where lean hogs finished sharply higher. The October jumped a dollar ninety to close at eighty two twenty seven. December hogs up seven at seventy two twenty five. Class three milk was mixed. September milk up a penny sixteen sixty a hundredweight. October milk down for seventeen twenty three. The cotton market closed lower in a light volume trade. Seems like traders are just waiting on some new news to move the market. Perhaps the Thursday morning export sales report could do that. They're also keeping an eye on any effects that Tropical Storm Nicholas is having on the Delta and Southeast cotton crop. We close with October cotton down 29 points, 94.67. December cotton down 29 at 93.37. Big jump in the corn market, double-digit gains. News coming in of disappointing yields from early Illinois corn harvest. Also seeing some good progress made to get those Gulf export facilities back up and running after Hurricane Ida. Both of those factors boosting prices. December corn up 13 and a quarter to close at 5.33 and a half. Big gains in the wheat market also. Tight stocks continuing to keep support underneath this market. Concerns over tight supplies of milling quality wheat helping to boost prices. December Kansas City wheat up 14 and a quarter, 716. New crop July up 12 and a half at 718 and a quarter. Soft wheat market was higher also. December up 11 and a half, 712 and a quarter. New crop July up 8 and a quarter, 710 and a quarter. In the energy markets, October natural gas was up 19 cents, 545. October crude oil up 228 at 7274 a barrel. The financial markets higher, the Dow up 289 points, 34,861. The Nasdaq up 134 at 15,172. The S&P up 43 points, 4,486. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.